Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're taking a look inside the day of Nicola Gill. Her brand new book is called The Neighbours, and it's kind of a rom-com. It's a tale of friendship. Uh, I think they call it women's fiction in the industry. Nicola doesn't know, and you can find out why in just a bit. Also, we talk about how she bought a plot out of an idea of friendship and how it was that conflict and meeting that led to 300 pages. And we learn about how much she follows her initial plot of the story or or whether she's fine to overwrite and and turn down a side street along the way. Sometimes it's wonderful because sometimes the side streets are really interesting places and it's like, I really like the way this is working out. And sometimes the side streets are a complete wrong turn and you're like, oh my God, all right, that's, you know, 10,000 words that's coming straight (laughs) out. But for me, anyway, and I'm sure other writers are more disciplined and more, you know, they plan it out better. But for me, that that's the way I have to work and that's the way I enjoy working. So I don't mind wasting words if I'm happy with how we end up. Loads more with Nicola Gill on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yes, welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine. It's the show that takes a deep dive inside the working day of some of the world's most successful writers. We have a snoop around to look at how they do it and then what we can learn to maybe change our own working day. We don't always have to, though. I think sometimes it's nice to just have the inspiration or just to hear someone that confirms the way we do it. Yes, I do it exactly like you. Uh, Now, this week, uh, we've got Nicola Gill on the show. Her debut is called The Neighbours. It's all about Ginny and Cassie, who are two unlikely friends, and they hit rock bottom and they are thrown together. Now, we talk about what led her to write the story and, and, and how she made a plot after having these two characters floating around her head and mashing them together. Uh, also, we chat about her part-time job as an advertising writer and how much impact and help that has on the storytelling. Uh, now, Nicola is very upbeat on the positives about that, the, the good sides of how her work has influenced her writing, which is brilliantly fun to hear. We'll crack through that in a sec. Uh, also, you can hear about the moments where she's spitting the words out, where she's throwing them down on the page and why that's what she lives for. That is why she writes. And we also talk about why her writing routine really revolves around getting to work incredibly early. 
It's all on the way with Nicola Gill and her new book, The Neighbours, and we dive into it as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. So I'm really lucky because I have a room of my own that's my writing room. It's very small, but it's a huge luxury um, to have that sort of designated room. And it's just got my desk and obviously my computer and then lots and lots of books. What was it before it was your designated writing room? Uh, So it was uh, my son's room when he was a baby, when he was a tiny baby. But then when he was upgraded to a bigger bedroom... I got the... Uh, nabbed the, it. Yeah, I nabbed it for me. So, I mean, it really is tiny. It's it's a sort of oversized cupboard, but... But that's, as long as it's your own it's space. It's my writing room. How have you turned it into your own space, then? What, what personal inspirational touches that make it good for you and good to tell your stories are on the walls, perhaps? <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'd go as far as inspirational. I have got lots and lots and lots of bookshelves in there, which is fantastic. So I always feel when I'm writing that I'm kind of surrounded by great writing, which sort of helps me in a weird way I think I think I, I that completely makes sense does that make sense um and then I've got a pin board so I've got two pin boards I've got one pin board for when I'm outlining to stick up little cards but I'm rubbish at outlining um I prefer to just be writing and then I've got one pin board with like nice little cards and things that people have sent me or you know special things that my kids made at school or things like that is that the sole place that you tend to get your writing done occasionally? I, I know I've spoken to some writers recently who will do editing downstairs in the dining room. They might do other things somewhere else. Well, when I wrote The Neighbours, I had a full-time job. So actually, most of my writing was done very much on the fly. So what I would do is I'd get up hideously early and uh, leave for work really early and then write for an hour to an hour and a half before work. Uh, usually in a cafe Um, and then but if I'm at home I would prefer to be in my room yeah well here's something why did you not do your writing really early at home in your writing room why were you doing it on the fly in a in a Starbucks or something good question because um, if you get kind of train delays or whatever and you're sort of there's something that slows you down at least if you're there if you're five minutes from where you work you're going to be on time to work so you can just write for all the time you've got without stressing about am I going to get there am I not going to get there do you know what I mean so it just made it less stressful for me to know I was at work as it were how did that develop was it just one day you ended up at work early and thought you know what I'm going to sneak away a a half an hour or so um I think I realized quite quickly that the whole idea of like having to have a sort of you know really designated sort of perfect time to write just wasn't going to happen for me you know I had two kids full-time job so you have to just take your chances where you can really and you just have to write when you can and even if you have 20 minutes it can be quite frustrating and annoying because you just sort of start to get into something and then you're sort of you know packing away the laptop but it's still better than not doing it and you're still keeping the story going in your head if that makes sense absolutely makes sense it's nice to center yourself in one place i i I think like that yeah um listen so the show's writer's routine nicola talk me through yours um the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are writing you've already teased us that you're an early bird how does it look what time will you wake up what time will you start writing when's your lunch when are you stopping talk me through it Okay, so it does depend a bit um, because I now... So I sort of now do my day job on a sort of freelance basis. Um, But let's assume for the sake of this that I've got a whole day to write. Let's assume it's one of my my writing days, as it were, which is a great luxury. Um, 
I always get up really early. I'm always like the first up in the house and my whole family want me to just keep quiet because I'm a huge nuisance. Um, three days a week, I will make myself go for a run. Not because I love it, I actually hate it, but just because otherwise I would literally never move. Um, but otherwise, I would be probably at my desk by about half past seven, eight. And then if I've been for a run, it's going to be more like half past eight, nine. Um, again, reluctant, but smug because <laughs> I've got the exercise out of the way. And then uh, the morning is really the best of me. So I will pretty much stay at my desk all morning. And um, I have a word count that I have to hit each day. And if I hit that word count and I've done it in the morning, then I'll go downstairs, have some lunch. And then after that, I will do other stuff I need to do, whether that's my other work or whether it's maybe an article or I don't know, something um, and then on really good days, if I've done my word count and I've done those things, I might let myself sort of, you know, mess around a bit in the afternoon and do all those sort of time-wasting things that we all like to do. But that's pretty rare. I love writing most when I'm almost um, sort of spitting it out, <laughs> if that doesn't sound too ungainly. And I like to just write really fast and just get it down and really enjoy it and really get into it. And then I'll go back and I'll fix things and I'll change things. And it can be a bit annoying because sometimes it's a bit of a wasteful way to write because, you know, you can write reams of stuff that you end up cutting and um, you can go back and you think, oh, God, that's a bit, you know, clumsy or whatever. Yeah. But it's just that's what works for me and that's what I most enjoy and that's when the writing sort of really flows, when I can just kind of keep going, keep going, keep going. Where does the 1,500-word mark come from? Um, that comes from I don't know if I can say this this that comes I think from my publisher giving me quite a punchy deadline okay yeah that's fine and um, have you done the maths yeah is that what you've done yeah yeah literally sitting there um, this sounds incredibly uncreative I'm just as I hear myself saying it I'm thinking (laughs) oh my god what do you sound like but literally sitting there and thinking all right I've got to deliver a hundred thousand words in you know however long it was not very long um i've got to write 1500 words a day so it comes from there that force having such a tight deadline knowing you need to get these words down yeah did did you find that helped or, or hindered you um are you good up against a deadline i i am and um you know i i think generally well i don't know if it's true for everyone but i think generally most people and writers especially do need a deadline otherwise you know you can just keep on going forever um but you know there's obviously that there can be a stressful side as well you know when you sort of on days where it doesn't go well and you're like you know you've written 400 words and you probably don't like them that much you're thinking well this is terrible but you've just got to remember that on another day you know you might it might just fly you know you've fingers might be flying across that keyboard what do you take advantage of that then so say you've got your 1500 word mark yeah on a day when you know that you're flying yeah will you just let yourself write and write and write um depends how lazy i'm feeling okay. and it also depends what else is going on in my life so um you know what the demand other demands mm. of you know family and everything else are but theoretically yes 
um, but it's not always possible. On the reverse of that, then, on a day, I mean, you say that you like to almost spit the words out. You like yeah. when you're, you're in flow. Yeah. What happens on a day when it's not like that, when it's an absolute slog, you're really trudging away at it? What do you do then to, to kind of help those 1,500 words get out? Oh, it's a really prosaic answer, but I just sit there and I just make myself do it. Because I remember hearing um, years ago, I think it was Hilary Mantel, who knows a thing or two about writing. Apparently, yeah. Um, and she was saying, oh, you know, if it's not going well, you know, leave your desk and just do something else. And, you know, for a while I took that really seriously and then I realised that actually wasn't really happening. <laughs> I actually did have to get back to my desk and, you know, I could often leave my desk and, you know, the muse wasn't turning up. So I think sometimes you just have to make yourself turn up even if it doesn't seem to be going that well and then suddenly probably, I don't know, after couple of hours or something you'll start writing something and at least it'll be some words on the page yeah I, th- I think that makes sense just kind of getting yourself in in the space to do that yeah and uh, thinking of it like a job yeah and, and so many people because it's it's such a dream isn't it you know to yeah. have the whole day at your leisure yeah but you realize um i mean i I have worked from home before, before being a writer, I've worked from home in in my lifetime. And you do realise quite quickly that you have to be very disciplined because if you are too sort of lax about it, you will end up paying the price. Do you know what I mean? It's it's never going to work. So. Well, talk to me about that decision recently then to uh, to go freelance and yep. to, 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 to devote the majority of your time to writing at your will. Uh, has that been harder for you to... to to have a more open end, I mean, it's probably nicely tied in with the fact that you have to write so many words a day. Yeah. But when it is more open-ended, how did you find that? I know quite a lot of writers do struggle when they get to being full-time because what was once forced into a couple of hours before you went to work yeah. is now across eight hours a day. Yeah, so um, I think maybe because I'm not properly full-time yet, it's still a massive, massive luxury for me. So I still have that kind of... And also that feeling of just for years, having tried to sort of cram it into, you know, an hour before work here and, you know, spending all my weekends on it and, you know, sometimes writing in the evening terribly because I'm not a night person at all, but sometimes writing in the evening just because I had to. I think I'm still in the phase of, like, I'm so grateful for it. So my day job, um, as it were, is advertising writer... So, yes, it's pretty, um, well, it's not that similar, but, you know, obviously mm. they're both creative things and they're both writing. So that's a good thing and a bad thing. Why is it a good thing? Um, it's a good thing because I've spent my whole professional lifetime writing and obviously you get some skills and some discipline from that, whether it's le- learning to work to a deadline or uh, learning to just keep your words really kind of crisp and concise. Um, and I guess the flip side of that is that sometimes it can seem like a bit of a kind of busman's holiday because it's sort of, you know, like, oh, my God, I don't want to write any more words. Stop asking me for words, you know. Um, listen, and you, you've... So this is just The Neighbours is, is, is the book that's published. Yes. You just started writing a second book. Well, you're partway through writing the next yes. one. How has your writing routine changed between those two? Was it a case of you moderately analysing the first one, thinking, how can this be better? How can I write better? Um, little bit. I mean, I think I, as I sort of hinted at earlier, I don't love the outlining stage. I always just want to get going with an idea and I just want to be writing. So 
every time I start something new, I think, right, I'm going to outline much more carefully. So <laughs> I'm going to really have this mapped out. And I did map this new book out a little bit more, but still not that much more, because there's a point where I'm just itching to start writing it. What do you need to know before you start writing? Um, the beginning, the end, and I need to have a good feel for my characters. The end, is that a firm ending or is it a vague idea where this might be headed? I think it's a firm ending, but it's subject to change. <laughs> so um, I always, I remember listening to, to, to writers talking and they would say, oh, you know, your characters dictate what happens. And I thought, oh, okay, sounds a little bit delusional. But now I kind of understand that more because I think that, you know, you can think that you're in charge, but actually your characters have big say as well. How does that go in with you saying to start you need a sense of your character? What do you need to know about them before you will begin? That's quite hard to articulate, um, but you just... I suppose I want to feel in a position where, certainly with my main characters, that I know them like I might know a really good friend, for example that I just sort of know how they would behave in a certain situation. Could you tell... Could, if I asked you a, a random question about their personality, could you answer it? Not right now, but yeah, <laughs> at, at the start. I'm not going to. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, I might not, um, you know, be able to answer you every detail of, say, their appearance, because it might not be that important or that relevant. And I'm a great believer that actually the reader will join up the dots however they see fit on certain things. But I certainly would be able to tell you how they would behave in a situation. Well, let's take this along to The Neighbours then. OK. Tell me about the first <laughs> moment that you had the idea for what would become The Neighbours. I think what sparked it is I was thinking about the pressure that people, and I think women particularly, are put under to tick certain boxes by certain points. You've got to have done this by... 25 you've got to run this by 30 you've got to da, da, da. and this sort of constant sort of cycle of feeling like you know you've got to sort of tick this box tick that box and I think that's where the idea started and then um I was just thinking about sort of the main character and how she feels like she's maybe missed some of those deadlines she's a bit behind and um then her sort of you know, personality started to come into my head more. So how did you get the main character from that initial question? You're thinking, uh, I wonder what it would be like if, if someone hadn't hit those uh, deadlines that society places on, on women. How did that then organically turn itself into a, a relatable three-dimensional character? Well... <laughs> I don't really know. Um, that's not a good answer, is it? No, that's not. I will not take that answer, Sorry. Nicola. <laughs> um, so I've got. So I've always got my notebooks, um, and I think I just started making notes on Ginny and starting to think who Ginny was and what she liked and what she didn't like, and you know, really silly things like I knew quite early that she was obsessed with twelve bites and you know always had to have a pack of twelve bites in terms of stress, and I started. If it doesn't sound too crazy, I think it probably does sound a bit crazy, but I started to almost hear her voice and hear the sort of things she'd say. 
Sounds weird, doesn't it? It's this is a crazy <laughs> safe space. It's okay. okay. Your 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 okay. job is to make up invisible characters. You know. Yeah, my you, imaginary friends. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you make money from imaginary friends. Yeah. When did Cassie come into it then? Oh, I mean, Cassie was just such fun to write. I just had the best time writing Cassie because um, she's so um, sort of bitchy and unfettered and just doesn't really care who she upsets and who she offends. So, you know, who wouldn't want to write that character? It's fantastic. It's very liberating. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We will get more from Nicola uh, in just a sec on this week's writer's routine. Uh, Before we do, uh, a very quick reminder that if you love the show, if you've heard any tips through over a hundred episodes now that have helped the way that you tell your stories you can always say thanks uh, by sending just a little bit of cash over to our patreon page every month Uh, pledge over there if you can a dollar or so a month honestly it really helps us out and i know that times are very tough at the moment everyone's a little bit unsure i fully understand if uh, a writing podcast isn't really top of your priority list of where your money is going to go it's perfectly fine if you just want to listen along if you want to love the show uh, if you want to tell someone that you know that'd be great leave a review on the apple podcast store Uh, and if you are enjoying it make sure you do get in touch and let me know what you think over at writersroutine.com that is all amazing if you can do that and if you can support us on patreon as well i really would love that it just helps the show carry on going on uh, over these very unsure months at the moment. Uh, you can do that, as I say, just a dollar or so a month over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Hi, my name is Rory Clements. My new book, Hitler's Secret, is out. And I've got a run writer's tip. Join the Samaritans. Become a Samaritan helper, volunteer. I did that for a couple of years. It was very tough going, but I learned an awful lot about people. You get into their lives you hear their secrets and so many different lives come across the lines to you and I did that often late at night which is actually the time I'm writing and I found that uh, 
it really improved my writing. Right, let's get back into it then with Nicola Gill talking about her debut, The Neighbours. In this half, we talk all about genre. You see, she's been labelled as women's fiction or female fiction, which I think cuts out quite a large percentage of your possible readership. (laughs) You must think the same way. I know there's a reason that the industry does this. They need to put it on some sort of bookshelf in the shop. They can't just have it idly being moved from place to place. It needs somewhere to go. Women's fiction, female fiction, I'm not sure is that place. But I don't know best, though. It's interesting, Nicola kind of feels the same way about it, though. Uh, And we'll talk about that and whether she could write in another genre after all of this, how her voice would translate to that. Uh, We also talk about how she knows if she's near the end of the story because she doesn't really plot that much. Uh, And we pick things up talking about the two characters, Ginny and Cassie. How did the conflict of those two bring about the plot and how the roles also helped her carry on writing. If Ginny is someone who feels like she's waiting for her life to start, Cassie is someone who feels like all her best days are behind her. So she did tick all the boxes, but now it's all gone horribly wrong for Cassie. So there's a sort of... um, They play off each other in that sense, I think. I'm just just curious as to how almost the role of Cassie came about, her her character. Yeah. Is that because you've got Ginny and your brain is naturally thinking, well, if she's thinking this, almost who's the opposite to her? Um, maybe, although I guess the interesting thing is that they're actually more similar than they um, realise mm. or care to admit. And I think that that's quite interesting as well because the whole, the sort of, the core of the book is about friendship and you know yes there's some romance in it but that's very very secondary the important thing is their friendship and it's almost like a kind of uh, you know a love story about friendship if you like so they are different superficially but actually underneath all that they've got quite a lot in common you said that to start a story that's what you need you need the characters the ending and, and the beginning yeah when did you start to get the beginning of the actual plot that this story was going to centre around t- uh, two women who were going to become friends almost against the odds? Quite quickly, and I think I had I had at the same time been thinking about how weird it is that sometimes, especially in London, you know, you're living, um, you know, sort of, sort of in such close proximity to people and yet you can know nothing about their lives and you can sort of imagine that you know them from the glimpses you get of them and maybe, you know, what parcels they get delivered or things like that. But actually you don't really know anything about them and I thought that was quite fascinating as well. So that was another sort of hook into it, if you like. Then when you are hooked into it, when you start writing, then what happens? What happens next? So you've got... the I know know this is... But you've got these two (laughs) characters... Um, they're going to be friends. You start writing, then then what happens next? I mean, you said earlier that uh, you had often heard of writers saying, well, the characters take over, the characters make these decisions for you. But what happened? When did you start to feel that happening? And how did you know what would happen on the next page? Um, I think it happened quite quickly. And I guess if you know where you want them to get to, you, you know, you start heading down that path don't you and you you know you might go off 
sort of a little bit unexpectedly, but you're always going, you're, you're, you're trying to get to an end point. You've then got to factor in time for them to go off and do their own thing and for them to take you down side streets and, and stuff. Yeah. How did you deal with that as an author? Sometimes it's wonderful because sometimes the side streets are really interesting places and it's like, oh, I really like the way this is working out. And sometimes the side streets are a complete wrong turn and you're like, oh, my God, all right, that's, you know, 10,000 words that's coming straight <laughs> out. But for me, anyway, and I'm sure other writers are more disciplined and more, you know, they plan it out better. But for me, that that's the way I have to work and that's the way I enjoy working. So I don't mind wasting words if I'm happy with how we end up. Why is that? What do you think those words are doing? Why do they need to be on the page? I don't know. I think, I mean, I suppose because I just, when I enjoy writing most and I think I write best, it's when I'm writing quite fast and I'm not sort of overthinking it too much. I think you can overthink and you can overanalyse at the planning stage and you can overthink and you can overanalyse, well, not overanalyse, but you can analyse at the editing stage. Um... You know, and if you've got a good editor and I've got a fantastic editor, they'll, you know, do that with you. Um, but I think when you're actually writing, certainly for me, it's best to just just do it, just get on with it. And I, I never edit as I go along. So I don't go... I know that some writers, they they start by reading what they wrote yesterday to sort of pick mm. it up and then they go back and they like rework that and they'll redo it. I tend not to do that. So I might quickly read back, but even if I don't like it, I might just make a note about it, but I probably will keep going. Talking about the start of each day then, yes. if you're not much of an outliner, yes. how, how do you know... I make myself sound really disorganised, <laughs> don't I? How do you know what you're writing every day? Um, how do you know what those 1,500 words are going to be? I always have my notes... And I've usually planned out what I'm going to do the next day when I finish the day before. So I've, I've got a plan that I'm working to. It's just a plan that evolves daily or almost daily rather than, you know, all in advance. When did you start? If all you know is the beginning and the end. Yes. How did you know? It, it's not all I know. I mean, I will have I will have done a bit of outlining. So I will have some ideas about you know these are things that I want to happen you know what would be um what would be the things that would um you know take Ginny from where I want her at the beginning to where I want her at the end what would be the moments in their friendship that are so defining so I'm usually super excited by then because it, it it's just it just feels like it's all coming together and um, I think it's quite. Uh, I think it's quite an instinctive thing that it's just like, hey, this is, you know, we we're to a point where everything's coming together now. And I don't necessarily mean it has to be a happy ending. It doesn't have to be all neatly tied up with a bow, but it needs you need to have a sense of resolution. Let me take you right back to the start again. Okay. So, in your mind, what do you want this story to be? Like, this is quite a, quite an arsy question to answer, but what's the purpose of the story? Um, As in, why, why are you telling these, th th these two ladies' story? Why have you thrown them together? Ooh, that is a really hard question to answer. I think... I think I want it to be a real sort of hymn to friendship and really celebrating 
you know, the power of friendship and how life-changing and life-affirming it can be. Does oh, that... No, that's very sweet. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> what genre do, would you say this is? Because the, 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 these types of genres, they keep changing the name yeah, yeah. of what it is. Oh, I don't know. I mean, do you know, writers, I think, are terrible at the whole genre question yeah. because I don't think, and maybe other people are a bit more sort of savvy than me, but I don't think we really tend to think like that. I think it's like publishers and agents who are obsessed with the whole genre thing oh it absolutely is because that's the thing that helps them sell books right just because it needs to go on a bookshelf somewhere exactly whereas i think writers are a bit like all right just tell me what genre i am and what have you so i think um i'll probably get told off by Hopper collins for saying this but i think that um my writing is classed as women's fiction okay but i mean what does that mean because like there's a lot of different women and different types of yeah. fiction within it and also men apparently read women's fiction too so if we were up. to say for the purposes of this chat this question that yes. it is women's fiction yes there's quite a few women's fiction fiction book on the shelf yes i've chatted to a few of them doing this this show um what what how do I know this is tough because you don't care about the genre but what kind of tricks are you using f- from the genre of women's fiction how, how how is it what makes it women's fiction I guess is the question I don't think I to the best of my knowledge I'm using any tricks I think I read a lot of books that are classified as women's fiction but it's such a broad um sort of you know, descriptor for so many different books from, you know, Nick Hornby to, you know, whoever, you know, Curtis Sittenfield to, you know, Anne Tyler. It's all women's fiction and they're all very different writers. I mean, they're all fabulous, but they are all very different writers. So it's quite a sort of tricky one to to sort of pin down. And I don't think it's uh, maybe... I don't know if this is true or not, but to me, I don't think it's quite as defined as, say, the sort of psychological thriller mm. genre, where there's a very sort of tight um, set of parameters, almost rules. I don't know if you think that. No, I do. If you, if you were to say there are rules for women's fiction, oh. if you were just to try and invent these, yes, as in they're not going to be as strictly bordered as psychological thrillers, yes. but what are they? Oh, I don't know. Nobody's told me yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to find them out. Maybe it's something to do with a narrative voice. I think there is probably a similar narrative voice that runs through one of your stories that would run through a Nick Hornby story. Yeah. That maybe runs through a Laura Jane Williams story. How much do you think about your... Oh, I love Laura Jane Williams. Yeah, fantastic book. How much do you think about your narrative voice? I don't think about it at all, which I know is a really um, weird answer, because I think that... Um, that's so the voice that I write in is the only voice I can write in it's the only voice I have and know so I just do it and I hope people like it because I wouldn't know how to write with another voice and if I did I think it would come out sounding you know inauthentic and probably quite rubbish do you think the way that you write is the way that you talk I don't know. Um, a few friends of mine have said, oh, I can only hear you when I read this book. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, really. <laughs> but possibly, yes. But, I mean, I would think it's a sort of... One would hope it's a slightly more polished version of me. If you're genreless in your writing... Yes. Do you think you could turn your hand to psych thriller, to crime? Um, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know. It's a really interesting question. I mean, I think there are writers who've who've crossed genres. Um, I mean, Kate Atkinson is a wonderful example, isn't she, of someone who's who's written incredibly brilliantly um, across different genres. Um, to be honest, at the moment, you know, it's challenging enough just, you know, nailing one. So I think I'll stick with that, but we'll see. <laughs> And that is it for Writer's Routine this week. Thank you so much to Nicola for coming on the show. You can find out all about her brand new uh, novel, her debut, The Neighbours. Loads more about it over at writersroutine.com. And if you can, please do support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. If you don't want to do that right now, that's absolutely fine. Completely understand it. What with everything... We do not have to be top of the list, honestly. Uh, If you can, though, please do leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Twitter at WritersPod and let me know what you think. Anything about the show, as long as it's kind of nice. It's a bit of a stressful time. Don't know if I can handle criticism. If it's something nice, uh, fire over to the contact page at writersroutine.com and make sure you're subscribed because next week we're chatting to a phenomenally successful and prolific Adele Parks all about her brand new novel, Just My Luck. That is next week on Writer's Routine. I'll see you then. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.